Uh, this is the Great Reset Part 3. We've been in this series talking about our minds, talking about our thinking, and uh, our, our scripture, our text has been Romans chapter 12, uh, verse 2. And it says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then you will be able to test, and only then, you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. You know what this t- scripture tells us? That I'm not able to discern what the will of God is unless I have a renewed mind. That the way that I see God's will clearly, and I would say in light of everything that's happening in our nation, it is very important for us to see and to know the will of God clearly. We're being told all kinds of different things, reading all different kinds of things, watching all kinds of different things. And I think it's very important that we know how to, with a renewed mind, process the will of God. The, 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 the picture, and we've talked about this every week, the picture is do not conform to the pattern of this world. That pattern is, in the, in the Greek, that context would be like a neurological pathway. And as I'm walking along on this carpet up here, I'm making pathways. I, I, I tend to pace, apparently, because I got a little trail that goes up here. And, and, and if, after, after the service, we're going to vacuum this thing, and all of the neurological pathways or all of my pacing pathways will be gone. And then next time I get up here, I'm going to form new pathways. Being transformed by the renewing of your mind is like vacuuming all of those old patterns and giving you a clean slate. And we've talked about this. This is where we have to be renewed in the attitude of our minds. So we need the word of God. So I put off the old me and I'm renewed in the attitude of my mind, which means I I get a clean slate. And then I put on Christ, which means I overlay over my decision process, over my choices, over my attitudes, over my my prejudices, over my perspectives. I lay the word of God. Honestly, guys, more than ever before, we have to go back to the Word of God. It's His Word that is alive. It's His Word that is our rule book and our guidebook. It is His, it is his Word where justice is found. It is His Word where our, uh, our, our instruction book on how to be a Christian, how to live like Christ, is found. When we're talking about renewing our mind, we've said this, that the only way to change your life is to change your mind. If you're trying to break a habit, if you're trying to change an attitude, if you never change your thinking, you will never change your behavior. It starts in your mind. This is why the writer of Romans is so intent on saying that the transformation will only happen when you change your thinking. Your thinking. Now we're going to continue this today in Acts chapter 1. This is going to be our text for today. Acts chapter 1, we're going to start in verse 3. It says, after his, talking about Jesus, his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. Now, this is after Jesus died, right? He was crucified. He rose from the dead. Now he's hanging out. Can you imagine that scenario? You know, you were the ones that deserted him, and now it's like, I was there all along. You know, I was just way back. You know, I got you back, but way. I mean, you don't, and you want to play it cool at this point because you're not going to be like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe he rose from the dead because he told you he'd rise. So you got to play it cool like, oh, there you are. <laughs> Took three days, but I knew, you, I knew you were coming. 
That you, you, you don't want to be the, probably Peter, you know, that would say something like, I didn't think this would happen. You don't want to, you don't want to be that guy. So he starts appearing to people after he's rose from the dead. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait. Wait for the gift my father promised, which you've heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and they asked, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power. How many could use some power? You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Now this is interesting in light of what we're experiencing as a country right now. He says that, that this power and this Holy Spirit that's going to come on you is not just for you. But you are going to be my witnesses in your hometown with the people that know you. But also the other people that you don't know and the other people that don't look like you. And the other people that don't have the color, same color skin as you. And the other people that don't talk like you. Because what Jesus was trying to say is that when I release this Holy Spirit, it is not a segregated Holy Spirit. It is not a prejudicial Holy Spirit. It's the Spirit of God that was destined to fall on all people and on all flesh. And I just think Jesus had like some prophetic knowledge of what might possibly our country would go through over hundreds and hundreds of years. And he just threw this in the book of Acts to say just in case they get it confused that the power of the Holy Spirit is that we would be his witnesses with people we know people we don't know with people that look like us people that don't look like us and everywhere else I love it when they throw that in and everywhere else it's like if I didn't get everybody later in Acts chapter 2 it says the same thing it says this gift is for you and for your children and your children's children and all who are far off Sex throws that one in there too. If you've got any excuse that you could say, well, not about, no, nope, everybody. It is for them all. Now, I, I want you to know that this today is the day of Pentecost. This is representative of the, the coming of the Holy Spirit to the church of Jesus Christ. It, is, it, it represents the Holy Spirit coming to the upper room. The 120 are up in the upper room. They're waiting like Jesus said, for what he said to wait for, and the power of the Holy Spirit shows up. That is the day of Pentecost. It was 50 days after Jesus resurrected from the dead. It was re it, 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 there's so much symbolism in it in that they used to represent the Passover and, and, and celebrate the Passover and the harvest. And Jesus, the bread of life, came as the harvest. And then the Holy Spirit came on the day of Pentecost. It's powerful. And we represent that now. The Pentecost was the greatest upgrade the church of Jesus Christ ever had. It was the greatest update. Y'all get frustrated with app updates every once. How about this? You ever seen a new iPhone come out and then the old iPhone suddenly loses battery power? Am I the only one? I mean, it's like, wait a second. This was working just amazingly yesterday. And then we have an announcement for a new phone. And all of a sudden, I can't keep battery power. My, my, my two boys, Jude and Genesis, um, they are 
iPad ninjas. They're six and five, and uh, we probably need to institute more uh, screen time uh, guidelines, but they're really good. And uh, I'm like watching them. We, they play Fortnite. Don't hate me. It's a game, but anyways, they play, and they're really good. And I just follow Jude around on the game, and, and it's a fighting game, and, and I'm literally like, Jude, cover me. Come, where are you? He's like, Dad, I'm in the next city. I'm like, come back and save me. I can't do this. These 10-year-olds these, these are lethal. So you'll come back and save me. And, and they love it when the game needs an update because they know the update is a new season and there's new characters released and there's new options and weapons and, and, and all of that. And, and so yesterday, Jude came up to me and he goes, Dad, your iPad needs an update. And I'm like, well, I didn't look, you know, I did, I did. And so he goes in, and he goes into my app, and he updates. It's like, here, I'm updating it for you. And I'm like, well, that's great. That's nice of you, son. And it's updating. And he goes, let me show you how I do it on my iPad. And he does the four-finger swipe on the iPad to pull down the most recent used apps. And he goes, now I don't have to go into my folders. I can just select it right. I'm like, how do, wait, how do you do that? Come here. Come here. I want, I want to see that. that. That could really help me. I mean, he just like works his way around that iPad. But, but updates are interesting because if the update is substantial enough, you have to reset the system. For most of the time with software updates, you don't overlay new software on old software. I'm not a tech genius, but I think that's right. You don't want to, well, I, I remember this. Anybody remember uh, Windows 95? All right, you know, come on. What about, you know, anybody still use a PC? If you're watching on it, it probably crashed three times and you got a virus while I've been preaching. I remember like when they would have new operating systems come out. I remember when Vista came out. I couldn't wait to see what it looked like. Oh, man, because it's new. It, but you can't have both. You have to delete one, which usually happens in the reset. And then you incorporate the other one. You download the update, and it says before you can use it, you have to re Reset. I believe prophetically what the day of Pentecost was, was the greatest update that we could ever receive. Because our Savior Jesus said this in John chapter 14. He says, this has been good, y'all. This is my own version. It's been good, y'all, but I'm out, and I'm sending someone that's better than me. The disciples didn't want Jesus to leave. They didn't want to be without Jesus but he said, it's better for me to go so that I can send the Spirit. In fact, John chapter 14, verse 26, it says this, But the Advocate, another name for the Holy Spirit, it's awesome. The Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Where do you get reminded at? In your, you thought it was a trick question, didn't you? Uh, I want to say mine, but I know how those pastors do it. Remind you, in your, it's, the Holy Spirit will bring to remembrance the teachings of Christ in your, he'll bring it to your mind. The power of the Holy Spirit, one of the things that the Holy Spirit does is it brings to remembrance the things that Jesus has said. That's powerful. Jesus said, it is better for me to go so that I can send you an update. I'm going to give you an update, so wait for it. Don't leave without it. you got to wait for it. Now, there's some characteristics about waiting that I think is, is, is worth noting. 
To wait means that, and the fact that they actually waited means it was worth waiting for. Chaos is happening in culture at that time. Jesus ascends. He leaves them. He's God. Jesus ascends. There's some parts of scripture that we like don't talk about too much that are just very astounding to me. Jesus is like talking to him and just, you know what I'm saying? Like, Jesus, it's better for me to go. The update's coming, you know. What's for lunch? I mean, it's just, what do you do after that? So he ascends, and they're in the upper room. There was something worth waiting for, and they knew it. They trusted Jesus that there was something worth waiting for. It was worth waiting for. It means that there was something that was promised. They wouldn't have just waited in the upper room just to wait. They knew that Jesus promised something. And they trusted Jesus' words enough that what was promised they knew was going to be worthwhile. So they waited. To wait means that they had to receive it. And this is really key. That they couldn't have just waited and, and, and watched. They were not supposed to just wait and see. Their posture was to wait and receive. Jesus, his plan for them was to receive the Holy Spirit. Not to, see, this is how some of us do it, is we just kind of like wait and see how it's going to ride out. Let's just see if this thing works. Let's see how it, no, the Holy Spirit is not meant to be observed. The Holy Spirit is meant to be received. And the disciples and in in all in the, in the upper room, they had a posture of reception. I think for many of us, we stop receiving at some point in our life. We think we know what we believe. We think we know where we stand. We think we know what's right. We think we know what's wrong, and we stop. I'm telling you, in the middle of a reset, you have to give your mind over to the Spirit of God and be renewed. Which means I have to understand there might be some perspectives that I've had or prejudices that I've held or carried that are wrong. Well, I'm not. I'm not. Maybe you are. Maybe it's time to lay it before the Lord and say, okay, Holy Spirit, who is our comforter, who's our helper, who's our teacher, teach me. Renew my mind so that I can discern your perfect will. To wait means that there would be a process before that they would receive it. And isn't that like the most difficult part of any type of waiting is recognizing that there actually is a wait. And they had to wait. But they waited because they trusted. They waited because they knew something better was coming. The same reason you wait for that update to load on your phone, it's because you know something's getting upgraded. And this was what's happening to the church of Jesus Christ is there was an update that was happening as they waited and God was releasing his Holy Spirit, which the Holy Spirit is not some eerie, weird thing. It's the Spirit of God. Right? It's just, it's him. It's his Spirit. It's who he is. It says in Acts chapter 1 verse 8 that you will receive Power, power, when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses. Now, why did he give them power? He gave them power not to have power. It was not power to have a demonstration. It was not power to show off. It was not power to shandai. It was not power to should have bought a Honda. It was, I gotcha. It was not, it was not power to... Key to my Honda. This is another one. I got all of them. It, it wasn't power for sun got in my eye. Uh, 
All of that's part of it. Paul said, I wish that you all speak in tongues. But it wasn't a power demonstration. There was power to do. God was birthing the early church and releasing the power of the Holy Spirit, which meant that he knew that they needed power, that they couldn't do it on their own strength. They couldn't do it without Jesus. And so they needed the Spirit of God to reside in them, to move them, to work through them, to reveal God's will to them, to give them power to be. Not power to be seen, but power to be. Power to be what? Witnesses. Now, I think when we're talking about witnesses, like we usually talk about like your awkward experience of witnessing to someone. Like that's what I think about. I think of mission trips where I can't speak the language and I'm trying to like share the gospel. Like, Jesus, right? And they're like working on, I'm trying to like, Iglesia, burrito. That's like all I know. Like it's bad. Like give me a translator. Like this is, this is, this is terrible. Like I'm not, I'm not good. I'm trying to speak different languages, trying to get my point across. It's just no, no good. And you think of witnessing as like being afraid maybe to try to share your faith or your story. This context of witnessing is not in sharing your theological faith. This concept of witnessing in the context of what we're talking about is actually a witness to. It is, I have seen and I have experienced, and now I'm going to tell you. It is now, these were going to be the representation of Jesus on the earth. Jesus was no longer there, and now these were going to be his witnesses. In other words, they were going to be representation of him. So if you saw the disciples, or if you saw the 120, it should be the same as seeing Jesus. For a lot of people, they'll never see Jesus. Some of them will never read a Bible, but they see us. And to be witnesses means when they see us, they see him. So it becomes imperative for me to know what I'm supposed to look like. It becomes crucial for me to know what I stand for and what I believe. And how do I represent him correctly? Have you ever thought about this? Christians on social media bashing each other, fighting back and forth. There's no sensitivity. There's no love. There's, there's no love. And we are supposed to be the representation of Jesus. I know it was like a cheesy movement for a while, but WWJD might need to make a comeback. What would Jesus do? What would WWJP what would Jesus post? Maybe we should just think about it. Just start it right now. Cup, cup, copyright, cup. Maybe we need to think about it. Well, I think it's my job to make sure that other people know. No, it's not. No, it's not. It's the Holy Spirit's job to convict people of sin. That's his job. He's really good at it. In fact, he's better than we are, and he's better than Instagram, and he's better than social media. He's really good at what he does. Our job is to be the representation or the witness of Jesus. So what does Jesus look like? What does he stand for? That's what we have to answer. What does he represent? If I get Jesus, what do I get? What does he believe? What do I believe? 
And I started looking at this. I texted Jamie early this morning because I had like 12 things that I'm like, these are what Jesus represents. I'd say, top three, go. Top of, the head, top of your head. What are the top three things? And she's like, da, da, da. I'm like, oh, that's three of my 12. Great. Delete the other nine. That's it. <laughs> this is what a, a witness of Jesus looks like. The rep- to be a representation of Jesus, you have to surrender like Jesus surrendered. These are going to be really simple. I have to surrender like Jesus surrendered. Jesus lived a laid down, submitted, surrendered life to the Father. Matthew 26, 39 says, going a little further, he fell with his face to the ground and he prayed, my Father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. Yet not as I will, but as you will. Listen to the humanity of Jesus saying, if there's another way, I'd like it. He says, but don't get it confused, God. My heart is to do your will. I would like another way, but I want you to know that your son is submitted, and whatever you will is my... That is the posture of a believer. That is a witness of Jesus. I surrender like he surrenders. Hebrews 5, 7 says, During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard. Look at this. He was heard because of his reverent submission. They note the fervent cries, but he wasn't heard because of his volume. He was heard because of his submission. He was heard because of the surrender of our hearts. You know, if we're not careful, then we can begin to live for us. We can begin to live and establish a kingdom unto us. But this life is about surrendering. This is what Jesus said. If you want to find your life, you have to lose it. And if you lose your life for my sake, that is actually when you find it. When you lay down yours and say, I want to serve others, I want to love others, I want to understand others, I want to, get, I want to walk in their shoes. When you do that, that is when you actually find value, find meaning, and find purpose. I have to surrender like he surrendered. I have to love like Jesus loved. I know when I say this, everyone's like, of course. Right? Of course. But I want you to really take a hard look at your life and who you are and what the love of Jesus actually is. And then I want you to overlay that understanding of what the love of Jesus is over your behavior, over your words, over your relationships, over your conversations, over your parenting, over your marriages. I want you just to, to let it. What is it? John 15, 12 says, my command is this. Love each other as I, this is Jesus speaking, have loved you. Period. Now the difficulty in that is that there is no asterisk. There is no comma. There is no exception. So that means I got to love everyone. Yep. Oh, well, well, I I don't don't know. I'm some people just out, they're not lovable. No, everyone. But you don't know what they, no, it actually didn't say anything about behavior. It said a person, a humanity. I'll take it a step further. Matthew chapter 5, verse 43, it says, now this is Jesus. 
You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Now, at the risk of being insensitive to the chaotic times that we live in, I want to be very careful. But at the same time, I want to, honestly, I deleted this out of my notes like three times. But I think it's very important that the word of God rests in our life and our hearts with no exceptions. This is to the abuser and the abused. This is to the victim and to those who victimize. It is all of them. No one is outside the love of, the God, love of God. And as a messenger, as a witness, we have a responsibility to love. That's not tolerance, friend. That is a heart posture that says, I love you. I can see through this, and I love you. I can see through that, and I love you. That's what Jesus did. That's what he did to the woman who was caught in the act of adultery. How would we act as the church of Jesus Christ? Someone in the middle of sin. And Jesus rebuked the Pharisees, the religious rulers, the righteous ones that thought they had it all together. He rebuked them. And he offered forgiveness and grace and love to this woman. I have to love like he loved. I have to feel like Jesus felt. I, got, I have to feel, I got to feel what he felt. I, I have to, see this is where many of us are having a difficult time in our culture right now. Is that we don't know how to feel. We excuse we justify, we tell stories, we believe narratives, and I don't want to be political. And honestly, it infuriates me that to stand for something that the Word of God stands for, it labels you on one side or the other. I am not talking about Republican or Democrat. I am not talking about liberal or conservative. I am not talking about a certain persuasion, a certain group, or a certain movement. I'm talking about witnesses. I'm talking about witnesses of the glorious gospel. I'm talking about messengers of Christ. And we have a responsibility to love. Well, Pastor, you don't understand what happened. No, I don't understand everything that happened. All I understand is the period that sits at the end of love each other as I have loved you. All I understand is the statement that Jesus utters from the cross as he's ridiculed, as he's beaten as he's crucified and in his humanity he says father forgive them for they know not what they do what kind of love is that that's the love that will change the world that's the love that will heal racism in our country not only that is that we have to feel I think that we have a fear of feeling because we have a collection of thoughts or a collection of beliefs or a certain persuasion or a certain belief that keeps us from feeling. It's compassion. You know, Jesus was moved with, moved with compassion all throughout his life and ministry. Jesus had compassion on those who were distressed. Jesus had compassion on the hungry multitude. Jesus had compassion on the blind. Jesus had compassion on the demonized. 
Jesus had compassion on the leper. Jesus had compassion on the one who lost a loved one. Jesus had compassion on the sinful. Jesus had compassion on the spiritually dead. Jesus had compassion on all men afflicted by any form of misfortune or wretchedness or degradation. Jesus was moved with compassion. Compassion means to suffer together. To suffer together. I want to show you something. Because I was talking with someone this week, and obviously it's been a crazy week in our nation, in the news cycles, and everything that's happening. And I've had all kinds of conversations with so many people about different beliefs and what you should say and what you shouldn't say and, and what you should preach about, what you shouldn't preach about. And this is just my persuasion. This is my commitment to you. I'm bound to this book. And that's what we'll preach. And that's what we'll stand by. And that's what we'll die on. And that's what we'll live for. And that's how we build a church. And that's how we save a city. And that's how we heal communities. It's what's in that book. It's what's in that inspired word of God. It's not cultural. It's not political. It's not popular. It's not what is okay now. It's what it says. There's not an alternate definition of love. There's not an alternate definition of grace. There's not an alternate definition of compassion. To suffer together. I'm going to have these guys just come up and help me real quick. I want to show you this. I was on a phone call this week, and I was talking about some of these, these issues. And the Holy Spirit spoke to me as I was talking. Just it gave me a visual. Because right now, and this is, I'm going to be just real with you. For many of us, when we're talking about race, there are a collection of thoughts that go through your mind when something happens. And I'm going to tell you, I've been guilty of it. I have had to learn, had to surrender, had to submit, had to be educated, had to have conversations, had to grow. And still today, last night, I barely slept. Because some people say something, and it's the wrong thing to say. And some people don't say something, and it's complicity by your silence. But I'm going to tell you what the Word of God says. He feel, Jesus felt, he felt, he wept when he knew Lazarus would be raised from the dead three days later. He wept. Why did he weep with them? Because they were sad. He could have said, come on, do you know who I am? In three days, Lazarus is getting up again. Uh-uh. even though he knew he cried that's our Jesus that's what we are witnesses of so let me, let me just say it this way this is Pastor Cam, we love Pastor Cam let's say Pastor Cam he was riding his unicycle fell off and he broke his arm right, bad, compound fracture don't look at it, it's nasty it's bad, he's got to go to the hospital it's bad, serious injury, broke his arm not life threatening but it's bad. It's bad. Jimmy, he's preaching the gospel, slipped on my rug here, fell. He's got a concussion. He's got a concussion. It's bad. It's bad. People are worried about him. It's like a seventh concussion because he's kind of clumsy. And, and uh, it's happened a lot. So they're worried about him. It's not life-threatening, but it's a real injury. It's a real thing. Keon has a real life-threatening problem. 
He's been injured and he's bleeding out. It's critical. He's got to get to ICU. You know he's got minutes to live. It is important. No one in their right mind is saying, hey, Keon, Cameron's arm matters too. You're, you're an idiot to think that. Not you, just other people. Because this is critical. This is life-threatening. This is, this is like, this is, I mean, we're talking right now. This is a problem. He's hurting, but he's going to be okay. He's hurting, but he's going to be okay. But this is, this is serious. He's bleeding out. It's critical. How many of us would not run to the aid of the situation that is critical? And for everyone else that would be like, well, what did he do to get hurt? You got to stop that right now. It's evil. It's wrong. I don't, he's hurt. He's hurt. It requires, we have to feel. That's what compassion does. Oh my gosh, he's hurt. I got to feel it. I'm not looking at why. I'm not looking at what happened to cause it. He's hurt to be a witness of Jesus represents that compassion and it represents that empathy. And you know why people say black lives matter? Yeah, I said it. I'm not talking about a movement. I'm not talking about anything political. I'm saying, you know why people say that and you know why that's true? It's because it's critical. It's critical. Well, I just want to make sure you know all lives matter. Everybody knows that, idiot. It's it's not life-threatening. You're okay. Get over it. You're going to be all right. Your arm's going to heal. Your concussion's going to get better. This is critical. And we need Christians. We need Christians. We need Christians. We need Christians full of the love of God, full of the empathy of Christ that says this is a problem. This is a problem. Forget about my arm. Forget about my concussion. Bro, you're bleeding out. How many of us would not run to the aid if we saw it as critical? I'm telling you, it's critical. Oh, well, it's so political. Stop. People are hurting. My my kid jumps off the coffee table and hurts himself. I'm not the dad. Maybe some of you are, and if you are, you need to change. I'm not the dad that goes up and be like, serves you right, son. You shouldn't have jumped off that coffee table. Why'd you jump off the coffee? He's hurt. I get down on my knees. Come here, Jim. It's okay, buddy. You all right? Where does it hurt? Show me. You okay? You all right? To be a dad that says, serves you right, you did something to deserve that pain, is to be completely anti-Christ. To be void of love and void of a heart that breaks for people. God's heart breaks 
for injustice, prejudice, racism. His heart breaks. And we have to go back to this book. Well, I don't want to be associated with, stop it. Be associated with something else then. Be a witness of Jesus Christ. Be a believer in the God-inspired Word of God. I'm not one way or the other. I'm a Bible believer. I am a witness of the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. Don't label me. Don't put me in a box. I'm believing what the Bible says. And if my brother is hurt, I'm with him. If my brother has pain, I'm with him. If my sister goes through hell, I'm with him. We're standing together because that's what the church of Jesus Christ that's the gospel you will receive power what is that power for looks to help and to heal the Holy Spirit came in a time where the culture was fragmented. There was all kinds of, of segregation, all kinds of conflict within the city between different people groups and different religions. And the Holy Spirit right in the middle of that. And do you know what happened that day? Acts chapter 2, it says that every single person gathered from all over, from tribe, tongue, race, color, every single person heard them speaking in their own language as a prophetic sign and a prophetic act that this Holy Spirit is not for some or for the elite or for white or for black or for brown or for Jew or for Gentile or for man or for woman. This Holy Spirit is for all people everywhere. That is the gospel of Jesus Christ. That is what it looks like to be a witness. That is what it looks like to represent Christ to our culture. 